Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, your favorite podcast about happiness and work culture. I know what you're thinking. How can I get Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, my favourite podcast about happiness and work culture, all over my phone? And the best way to do that is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's all very well and good, but I'd like to read some of the highlights on the internet. And the best way to do that is to go to our website where there's transcripts of each new episode and transcripts of lots of the old episodes too. And I know what you're thinking. This would make a good social media feed. And for that, you need to go to twitter.com and search Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And I know what you're thinking. I've seen all the coverage of the live Fast and Furious shows. Hundreds of cars, revving engines, explosions. And you're saying, I'd love that about work culture. And for that, I'd say, wait till the end of the show because we're doing an event in London in November. So lots of things there. The web address was eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. I started Eat Sleep Work Repeat because work just feels more overwhelming and stressful than ever before. And I was seeing friends broken by it. There's a lot of evidence for that. Since the advent of email on our mobile devices, work has gradually crept into more of our lives. One piece of research I saw over the summer said the working day had increased by 27%, up from seven and a half hours a day to nine and a half hours a day, as we find ourselves adding email to every waking moment of travel, evenings, lunchtime. And the challenge is, once you look at email, more email appears. So based on the increased volume of electronic work, you'd be delighted if productivity and pay had gone up. Paradoxically, in the last 10 years, productivity, the amount of stuff our work produces, hasn't changed. As the increase in working hours from people being on their phones wouldn't actually be captured by the statistics. If people are working more, it should be captured in higher productivity. But productivity in the UK is flat since 2007. It's marginally up in the US. In America, the last decade has seen the slowest rate of productivity growth in 60 years. So productivity hasn't increased despite a revolution in computers, in smartphones in every single pocket, email everywhere. As I say, maybe the opposite has happened. Work seems to have made us more anxious and we're working longer to achieve the same. So this season, I'll be chatting to lots of experts to try and understand this. How can we bring laughter back to our workplaces? 
Emma Seppala is a science director at Stanford University. We buy into this idea that in order to perform, we need to be stressed, that you can't have success without stress. We buy into the idea that we have to tap into that fight or flight response, that stress response in order to get motivated, to get through a deadline, to push, push, push. But the truth is that what you're doing in that process is you are burning out your body, your physiology, but also your cognitive skills, memory and attention. For example, do you come home at 5, 6 p.m. at night from work and feel exhausted, burned out? So why is that? Why are we exhausted? If you ask most people in offices what was getting in the way of getting more done, the answers would be rather predictable. Email, meetings, office distraction. And such is the nature of work now. There's an increasing number of people wondering if we urgently need to change it. Cal Newport is an enviously productive associate professor of computer science at Georgetown University. At 35, not only is his tenured position unusually early, but he's managed to combine the output needed to achieve it with writing five books. Want to know the secret of his success? Try emailing him. His email triages between different methods of contacting him. Like a choose-your-own-adventure experience, many of these lead to you not actually emailing him at all and you going back to leading your own life. When you do get through, you're told he might take two weeks to reply. Cal has written a brilliant reimagining of our jobs called Deep Work. He explained to me what he thinks we're going through. Well, it, I mean, it is true, first of all, that the modern working environment is actively hostile to deep work. I, I do want to add the caveat that I think this is going to be, in the long term, a sort of footnote in the evolution of knowledge work. In other words, I think the way that we're approaching knowledge work now, we're going to look back at maybe 15 years from now and say that was disastrously unproductive. This is a topic that The Economist Tim Hartford explored in a Financial Times feature last month. I've linked it on the website. Citing the economic historian Paul David, he said, We had yet to see the full economic benefits of the computer age because we have yet to work out how to reshape our economy to take advantage of them. Harford says later research by economists Eric Brynjolfsson and Lauren Hitt backed up the idea. He said they found companies that merely invested in computers in the 1990s had seen few benefits. But those who had reorganised, decentralising, outsourcing and customising their products had seen productivity soar. Right. Decentralising, outsourcing, customising. And I think this presents the challenge for work. People are more stressed than ever before. If you accept that people are working longer, then they're actually producing less for each hour worked. There's a complication coming. Over the next 10 years, automation is coming. Not in a general AI sense. There's unlikely to be anything that takes your whole job in your lifetime. But parts of your job might be taken. What parts can be taken? Well, the routine parts. One of the professions that machine learning might impact is the job of lawyers. A lot of lawyers' work is actually pattern recognition, noticing something in a document which has been successful or unsuccessful previously. And it turns out computers are better at that than people. So the work that will endure is creative work. We need to find a way in the, in the midst of the aforementioned stress to increase our creativity. Look, the critical thing about automation is that no one really knows the impact on work. Matthew Taylor this year delivered his good work report to the Prime Minister, giving the outlook on the world of work. It's pretty clear that he's an optimist. But there is a kind of technological determinism that says, well, the future of work is simply going to be whatever is left when the robots and automation AI has taken the rest of it. And I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of, to be honest, a lot of bilge talked about 
the way in which automation is going to impact jobs. I think we are at the very early stages of understanding this. And uh, I'll give you one really telling statistic. It looks as though analysis of the effect of more retail sales going online has been to create jobs. So there are, yes, there are fewer people now working in shops, but the number of people working in warehouses and delivering things is much, the increase in that number of people is much bigger than the de- decline in people working in retail. Now, that just that one fact should give us pause for thought when we read statistics saying, you know, 40% of jobs are going to be destroyed by automation. It's up to us. So whether AI is a threat or not, we know that the most valued work is going to be that that requires serious brain power. It all comes down to the brain. How do the rising stresses of modern life impact our ability to be creative? One thing that's clear to me is that the understanding of work culture needs to be better grounded in an understanding of neuroscience. Work is a practice of the brain. We need to be thinking how we can get more from the brain. Dan Cable is a professor at London Business School. His forthcoming book, Alive at Work, The Neuroscience of Helping Your People Love What They Do, is a remarkable exploration into the mind and work. Here's Dan. There is a part of our brain dedicated to injecting cortisol into us when we experience a shock that is threatening. The feeling that people report, that sort of jumpy, anxious, uh, fearful state, comes along with some tendencies of how we should respond. They were helpful to our ancestors, so we got them now. So the eyes dilate to let in more information, we flinch and pull back, our body wraps our muscles tighter as we get ready to either fight or flee. And so we don't get control over that. That's an unconscious reaction to fear. And when organizations create that, that means that the fear is coming from within the group. And the action that our body wants to take, when that fear hits from within the group, the threat comes from those around us, uh, what we want to do is conform. We want to fit in. We want to hide our uniqueness. So unfortunately, that used to be good for Henry Ford. That's not so good for organizations that want people to be innovative and creative. Fortunately, for all of time, we have a different part of our brain that uses a different drug. Uh, it's not as strong as the, as the uh, fear system, and that's something that's really powerful. Fear has to be quicker. Seeking system takes longer. But the seeking system uses dopamine, And what it's interested in doing is causing us to explore and play. So when we're not afraid, there's something in us that urges us to think about new ways to get resources. So we've ended up in a situation where high volumes of shallow work like email have become all pervasive. They're demonstrably not increasing productivity. The productivity paradox, as I mentioned, in the last decade has seen worker productivity rise at the lowest rate in 60 years. In the UK, it hasn't gone up at all. In real terms, productivity has declined. So ask yourself, do you feel like you're doing less? Now, I know the worst thing you can tell your mate who's going crazy in an argument is to calm down. But if you at work right now is the person going crazy, going barmy, getting stressed, and you just need to take a step back, okay, I'm going to be the one who says it. We all need to calm down. So let's start with the brain and think about how we can actively change work. Here's Jason Freed. He's the founder of Basecamp, and he's an advocate for changing work. It's funny, isn't it? How, you know, you have a lot of innovative companies and companies that are always talking about disruption and this whole thing, yet they're like, terrified to shatter the you know the basics of 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 you know how they work 
Jason's company Basecamp have experimented with loads of different methods of working, and he's particularly got the commute in his sights. Sitting or seeing somebody at a desk typing away or walking by their screen doesn't mean that they're working. All they're doing is sitting at a desk typing away at a screen. Like working, the, the output of work is what you can judge. And I think if someone's capable of doing that remotely, then they should be allowed to do it remotely. If they're incapable of it, that's a different story. But if they're capable of it, um, allowing them to work remotely, I think, makes a lot of sense. To me, it's it's fundamentally about respect as well. In Freed's questioning of the commute, he's got a number of enlightened allies. Rory Sutherland is widely regarded as the greatest thinker in the advertising world. Back in episode 13, he outlined pretty clearly where we've got to go. And my argument is that, look, if we're not changing our behaviour, our working behaviour at all, in response to technology, what was the point of inventing the internet? Because as it stands today, people are feeling overwhelmed by the advent of technology, giving us more to do. If you want someone to make 100 deliveries as a delivery man, they aren't helped in that by having to answer the average number of emails we get in a day. The average is 130. Now, for some reason, we've mistaken email for the job rather than an addition to the job. The worst part of this is it's putting us in a state of panic, waiting for another email to come in, trying to deal with the ones we've received. James Doty is a professor of neurosurgery at Stanford University. We have to understand that technology and our present environment evolves much faster than our DNA. And as a result, we're the same person who was on the savannah in Africa. And the mechanisms that allowed us to thrive and survive in that environment, unfortunately, often are deleterious to our thriving and well-being in the present environment. And for many people, that sympathetic nervous system is always engaged at a low level. And what people... Uh, don't understand is that their thoughts affect this mechanism. When you're anxious, uh, when you're fearful, when you're concerned, your sympathetic nervous system gets stimulated. And for many people, there is the constant chronic low-level release of a variety of these hormones associated with the typical stress response. The chronicity of this uh, has a very deleterious effect on your health as well as your judgment and your ability to discern and your ability to be productive and your ability to be creative. If you remember back in episode 13, Professor Sandy Pentland's work was so pioneering and the almost kinetic nature of idea creation, he styled it social physics. His conclusions were that creativity was very strongly linked to workplace chat and conversation. And if you've ever felt yourself anxiously pecking through emails, hoping no one interrupts you, we're doing more to achieve less. Here's Cal Newport again. At first, when we're first trying to understand these new technologies and these new industries, we tend to gravitate towards things that are easy and convenient. And then over time, we get more sophisticated. That's what's happened with the Industrial Revolution. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with knowledge work. The very easiest thing we could do with the advent of front office computer networks, so email and Slack and the ability to, to move information around real easily, the very easiest reaction to that was just, let's plug everyone in to this hyperactive hive mind. Let's give everyone an email address that's attached to their name. Let's give everyone a Slack channel and just sort of rock and roll, just have people rock and roll as the day unfolds. And we'll kind of figure things out on the fly with this ongoing unstructured conversation. So over the next few weeks, I'll be sharing interviews with Cal Newport, Emma Seppala, Jason Freed, Angela Duckworth, Matthew Taylor, Dan Cable, James Doty, Chris Beres-Brown, Deborah Ripple, 
Biz Stone and Dan Pink. Each week I'll be sharing the findings. For every episode, you'll find the full transcript to the discussion at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. I'm also going to go back and add the scripts for previous episodes. And I'll be adding a new resource too, a new work manifesto that lays out what work needs to look like. It's a simple eight-point plan of how we can reinvent work. It'll have its own website, and for each change, each proposed change, it's got a clear set of proof points to share with your boss or your team. Right, let's try and make work better. To help launch the New Work Manifesto, I'm hosting an event. You'll remember Sue Todd from episode one and episode four. Sue used to run the Culture Consultancy Wonder. Myself and Sue have curated an event on the 2nd of November in London. Speakers include Dan Cable, Oliver Scott-Jones, Sue herself, Andre Spicer from Series 1, Claire Beale from Campaign Magazine. We've avoided anyone on the PR route trying to just say that they've built a good culture. We've found scientists, academics, people who've got evidence about the working environment we, we live in today. You can buy tickets at culture2.0.com, where point is a word, culture 20 I should warn you that tickets are selling really fast and probably will be sold out by the start of October. Can't wait for you to hear this series. I can't wait for everyone to get involved in helping to reinvent work. Tweet me, come to the event, subscribe. I hope to speak to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.